Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Good morning, everybody. My name is Roger. I am one of the pastors at Inspire Church. Merry Christmas. It is so good to see you. Well, once again, we are here in Resonate Church, and I just want to say a special thank you to Lead Pastor Ryan. And also, I want to say thank you so much to the team, especially the sound engineers, the video engineers. Uh, You guys are just doing an incredible job of blessing us and allowing us to make this happen. I'm excited because this is the third installment of our series called History. And I don't know about you, but it is definitely getting closer and closer to Christmas. And my girls handed me their Christmas list the other day. I had to send it back and say, take away about 50 things because Santa cannot afford that this year. And it's crazy because Olivia, who is 10, she's kind of in between that age where uh, she'll still play with toys, but she also definitely wants electronics and iPads and all this other stuff. And so pray for me as we are navigating through that. Uh, The other day I was walking and listening to um, some music and a story came on that actually I hear every year and every year I'm touched by it. I don't know why you would think that I would be used to it, but I am. and And it's a true story. And it goes like this, that there was a mom who was in a mall walking around getting some Christmas gifts and she had her son with her and As they were walking, uh, there was this huge line and the little boy asked his mom, you know, what's this line for? And she said, oh, that's the line to see Santa, in which he responded to her and said, oh, well, where's the line to see Jesus? Wow. Um, I think that is so shocking and surprising of a response because the reality is is that most people don't understand the history of Christmas. Um, And really what the Bible is are historically documented events that accumulate into uh, sort of one huge story about him. And it's the, and that really is the history of Christmas, and it's his story. And so the last two weeks, Pastor Phil did an incredible job at taking us through the timeline of this journey, and he started with chapter one, The Promise. And what the promise was, was that there was this promise that from the stump of Jesse, a shoot will grow out and from that lineage would come the Messiah. And so Jesse's son, David, God used him not in spite of his problems and brokenness, but through them to be a king. And David would be a shadow or a type of the, of a, of the true king that would come. But as you know, that's not the end of the story because after the promise came chapter two, the problem. And one bad king after another began to follow. And so one bad king, one self 
uh, serving king after another one, self-centered king after another one, idol-worshiping king after another one, uh, king that made bad decisions after another after another, uh, kept happening until, as you may remember last Sunday, uh, Pastor Phil showed us how the whole kingdom came crashing down and left the people of God in despair, broken in darkness and exiled out of their own land. Wow. That's the history so far of Christmas. I know that doesn't sound like the Christmas that you and I are used to hearing about, but that is the history of Christmas. And where we pick up is right in the middle of this exile. And today we look at the third chapter of this series called The Prophecy. The Prophecy. And the reason is, is because it was into this darkness, into this dark time that prophecies were given to the people of God. And who else better to look to than what one may call one of the greatest prophets in all of Scripture, uh, Isaiah. And as I was thinking and praying about the message today and trying to figure out, well, which passage in Isaiah should I use? Because so many would be perfect. Obviously, chapter 9 would have been classic, right? It's where Isaiah begins to talk about how a son was given and a child would be born. And then throughout the chapter, he talks about how this child will be named, uh, you know, the Prince of Peace. Uh, this child will be named the ever everlasting father, the wonderful counselor. And it's an incredible chapter, especially the fact that Isaiah was careful to make sure that he said that it was the son that was given, but the child that was born. This is lofty Trinitarian language. It would have been an amazing chapter to use for this sermon. But as I began to just study and read, I realized that there was another chapter that I think would be very fitting. It's not as popular, and you might not know it as well, but it's Isaiah chapter 53. And the reason why is because this passage is going to show us three things. Number one, it's going to show us that we are all exiles. Number two, it's going to explain to us why we are all exiles. And number three, how we're going to be brought home. So number one, we're all exiles. Number two, why we are all exiles, meaning you and me and why that is. And number three, how we're going to get brought home. So if you have your Bibles with you or you could follow along on the screen, Isaiah chapter 35, and let's begin to read. It says this, The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of God. 
strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that will give way. Say to those with faithful, uh, fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come, and he will come with vengeance and divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool that the thirsty ground bubbling springs. The haunts where the jackals once lay will begin to grow grass and reeds and papyrus. And a highway will be there. Mm -hmm. And it will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. Uh, The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return, will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Wow. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that as we continue this journey on understanding the history of Christmas, but more importantly, seeing that it is your story, that God, you will continue to move within our minds and with our hearts, God, that we will be responsive to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, we are all exiles. See, the book of Isaiah is filled with prophecies about a future messianic age brought about by a future messianic king who would make all things right. And as Christians, we believe that that messianic king is Jesus. And understanding that helps us to begin to grasp the richness of what Christmas actually means, who it was that was born in the manger, and how we are to actually live our lives. So in order to start off this message, I actually want to start at the end. I want to work the passage backwards. So starting in verse 10, it reads like this, And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. I want you to notice that word return means to come home, come out of exile. And, and, and what we realize is if you've read the Bible and kind of taken a step back, this is one of the major themes throughout Scripture. It's one of the great themes of the Bible. How so? Well, uh, if you look at the history of Israel, which is a big part of the Bible, right, you'll, you'll see exile and homecoming and exile and homecoming consistently. For, for example, Israel uh, is exiled to Egypt and then brought home to their homeland. 
and you begin to realize that the story of Israel is actually a kind of small version of the story of the whole human race. And in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, we actually see a picture of Adam and Eve, who represent the human race, being exiled from their home. See, the, the, the Garden of Eden was made for them. That world, that paradise, uh, was suited for Adam and Eve. But as you know, they, end up be, they ended up being exiled from the garden. And then at the end of the Bible, uh, wh- which is the book of Revelation, right? We see God uh, restoring that Garden of Eden, the Garden City of God coming down out of heaven. That therefore, what, what the teaching of the Bible with this theme is, is that every human is actually an exile. We, we are spiritually homeless, well, what does that mean? What does that mean to be homeless or exile? Well, what is a home, right? A, a home uh, is a place where we fit. A home is a place where we belong. Home is a place where we are replenished. Um, home is where we feel safe. Um, home is where we can, you know, be ourselves, let loose, right? We can relax. It's a place that is made for us. It's a place that is suited for us. Um, home is a place where your needs are met. There's a show that uh, Becca likes to watch, and maybe you've seen it, called Little People, Big World. And in this show, it follows a family of little people. And, and when, they, when you go into their home, you realize that their home has been totally crafted for them. The, the furniture and where things are placed on shelves, um, the, the bathrooms, the showers, uh, the bedroom, everything has been crafted for them. And so when they are there, they are at home. They're at home. And so to be out of that and to be pushed out of that, to be kicked out of that, to be dragged out of that is to be in exile. I was trying to think about if I knew what it felt to be exiled. And uh, right away, the thing that came to my mind was the first night that I spent in the foster home. My dad had died and my sister and I were separated. And that night I was in a room, but it wasn't my room. I was sitting on a bed, but it wasn't my bed. Um, There were voices down the hall, but they weren't my sister voices. They, 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 They definitely were not my dad yelling at the New York Yankees. No, uh, they weren't my walls. They didn't smell like my house. And I remember just wanting, longing, wishing, praying that I could just go home. And what it says at the end of this passage is that the whole human race is homeless. What it says in Genesis is that humanity has been cut 
off. See, Adam was cut off from what he was made from and what he was made for. Humanity has been cut from the world in which we belong. That the human condition is homelessness and exile at large. And the Bible tells us that the world that exists right now, the world that you and I live in right now, that all of us have a sense that we were not created for this world. All of us have a sense that something is missing. C.S. Lewis says this, he says uh, that Christians believe that creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. So a baby feels hunger, well, there's such thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there's such thing as water. If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Wow. See, actually, I use that quote often in funerals. Um, And that's because when we're at a funeral, um, we are looking at death. And what's interesting about death is that we are told it's natural, and yet something doesn't feel right about it, that there's something about it that feels off. There's something about it that that, that inside of us says this shouldn't happen. There's something within us that longs for eternity. See, in this current world, our deepest longings are not met here, and therefore we're homeless. First Peter 2 calls us sojourners, or, or Philippians tells us that, that our citizenship is not of this world. Guys, the, the, the Bible, one of the themes running through it is letting us know that we are exiles. I remember in the old Pentecost holiness church that I grew up in, you know, and ladies weren't allowed to cut their hair. And so there'd be, you know, 30 years of hair all rolled up in a bun and they had to use like a hundred bobby pins to get that thing up there. And if you stood close enough, you'd probably get a radio station. And anyway, they would start playing songs and you couldn't get too close to anybody because if they started getting real crazy then those bobby pins would start spitting at you and you'd get an eye poked out or something. And they would play this one song called Goodbye World Goodbye. They'd play it so fast that you thought the fiddle would be on fire. I'm not joking. It was crazy. And Sister Ada Faye would stand up and she would sing this song, Goodbye World, Goodbye. And she she would say this, I've told all my troubles goodbye. Goodbye to each tear and each sigh. The world where I roam cannot beat my home. My home is in the sky. Goodbye world, goodbye. Or maybe Brother Eddie would stand up and he might sing, yes, I feel like traveling on. I feel like traveling on. My heavenly home is bright and fair and I feel like traveling on. Now, you might not be from a Pentecostal background and you might not have that experience or maybe your worship experience growing up was different than that. But I bring this up to just sort of show and demonstrate the fact that within Christianity, we have always believed because the Bible has told us that we are just sojourners of this world. 
See, when you look at what happened to the people of Israel here, when you see them in exile, when you see them out of their home country, you cannot help but relate because you know that you are living in a world that you don't quite fit in with. That you don't quite fit in with. So point one, we're all exiles. Point two is, well, how did we get here? How did we get to be exiles? Why are we exiles? Well, you have to look carefully, but notice what it says here, starting in verse 8. It says, The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. Only the redeemed will walk there. The the picture that Isaiah is painting in our minds are people who are redeemed versus people who are not redeemed. Redeemed from what? Well, redeemed from sin. See, going back to Genesis, what is interesting is that when we see exile happen between uh, Adam and Eve uh, and the land that they live in, Um, we also see exile happen between them and God, and them and God. See, they, they were alienated from the source that helped them thrive. In fact, many people believe that in many ways we are alienated from the source that helps us thrive. Karl Marx basically says that the source of our alienation is basically economic, Sigmund and Freud said that our alienation is psychological. Uh, Emile Duncan said that our alienation is sociological. Martin Hedeker said that our alienation is existential, right? But do you know what the Bible says to all that? The Bible says yes. Yeah. Yes. And actually, you see this in the Garden of Eden. You see all of these sort of characteristics of alienation happen to Adam and Eve in chapter 3. That's why there's injustice and poverty and racism and anger and war. And all of the guys that I just listed, they were right, but they were also wrong. Because all of those aspects Um, All of those points are aspects of our homelessness, and yet the Bible says that they don't cut deep enough because the real source of our alienation is actually spiritual. Genesis 3 says this, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the cool of the garden, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Wow. Wow. That is a picture of humanity. Humanity is running from God that wants to walk with us. Humanity is running from the God that wants to walk with us. It's, and it's no different with the kings that we've been looking at the past two weeks. Kings that wanted to be their own God. Kings that wanted to be their own master and live by their own standards and and causing people and everyone around them to go into exile. Do do you see? Do you see why we're exiled? Do, Do you see why? Because we are running from the very God that wants to walk with us. 
because we, 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 we want to be our own masters. We want to be the one to, to be behind the steering wheel of our own lives. So first is everybody is in exile. Humanity is in exile. Humanity is spiritually homeless. Second is how we got that way is because of sin. And so third, well, Pastor Roger, how do we come home? How do we come home? Well, society and education all say that the goal is to, um, you know, make the world a better place, right? That, that if, if, we, uh, if we build a nice home, um, if we work on hu- uh, human community, if we gain knowledge and wisdom, right? If we uh, go to therapy for our psychological alienation, right? That, that, that if, we, if we really fixed our economical alienation and our, or our social alienation or our existential alienation, that that if we fixed all of that, then we'd be home. But the reality is we wouldn't. Even if we did, we wouldn't be home. There would still be something missing, something that we're longing for. So what's the answer? J.D. Greer says this, he says, all of the pages of the Old Testament are whirling with the promise that the Messiah will come and take us home. And the New Testament says that Jesus is that Messiah. And he comes back twice. The first time he came, he began to heal our homelessness. But when he comes back at the end, he will make this world home again. How will he do that? How? Okay, so how will he do that? Well, the answer is Christmas. The answer is Christmas. See, let let me just paint for you the reality of the first Christmas, because the first Christmas didn't have red Starbucks cups and glittering lights. The the, the first Christmas didn't have uh, all of the wonderful decorations. The first Christmas didn't have, you know, hot chocolate with a peppermint stick in it. The first Christmas didn't have any of that. No. Jesus was born outside of his town, outside of his home. In another land, he was born on the side of the road in a cave. In in fact, Jesus says in Matthew 8 that foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the very Son of God has no place to lay his head. In other words, Jesus was exiled, he, he, he left heaven, but he was uh, in the womb of Mary, and then he had to go to another land, and then he was born in a cave outside. In other words, he became homeless so we could have a home. He became homeless so we can have a home. What's the answer? The answer is Christmas, but the answer isn't just the first Christmas. The answer is the second Christmas. Look at the very top of the passage from Isaiah 35. He says this, the desert and the parched land will be glad. 
The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands and steady the knees uh, of that give way. Look at verse six. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Verse seven, the burning sand will become a pool and the thirsty ground bubbling springs in the haunts where jackals once lay. Grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. It, uh, in other words, it's describing a world that is restored and beautiful, a, a, a world that is healed, a, a world that is uh, restored in peace and restored in wholeness. And you say, well, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait a minute, Pastor Roger. Wait a minute. So Isaiah's prophesying about Jesus coming. He's speaking about Christmas. Well, Jesus came. He came. And yet, I don't see this world. I'm not experiencing this world. Where, where, where is the healing? Where, where are the people leaping like deer and the, the joy bubbling up? Where, where, where is this? This is not my experience. Where is the end of violence that this describes and the end of injustice and, and, and the end of greed and power grabbing? Where, where is this world that Isaiah is talking about? Because that's not my experience. You might be saying, Roger, I, I don't know what sort of reality you live in, but I definitely am not experiencing this. Well, that's because Isaiah prophesied not just about the Christmas that has come, but about the Christmas that is going to come. See, Christmas isn't here just to remind us that Jesus came, but that he will come again. Well, that's a nice sentiment that, you know, gives me maybe a little bit of hope. But what do I do until then? In other words, how do I wait until then? How, how do I wait well? You know, what's interesting is that God's people eventually did go back to their homeland. Israel actually did end up going back to their homeland. But, but when they got there, they were under Roman occupation. In the time of Jesus, even though Jews lived in their geographic homeland, there was still a lot of talk about um, still being under exile um, because they were under Roman oppression. They were enslaved in their own land and therefore their home still wasn't their home. And that's when they realize that this story is bigger than them. That this isn't just about their story, but about our story and really about his story. And just like they did then, waiting for the Messiah to come, we wait. Just like they were waiting in darkness and in exile, we wait. We wait. 
And you say, yes, Roger, I understand, but waiting is difficult. While I'm waiting, I'm surrounded by difficult situations. Roger, please understand that, that I hear what you're saying, but, but how do I wait when, when I'm trying to you know, keep my marriage together? How do I wait when I'm trying to raise these kids? How do I wait when my heart is bitter and, and I cannot seem to forgive the person that hurt me and pained me and abused me? How, how do I wait when I'm stressed out and dealing with depression? How do I wait when my mind is filled with suicidal thoughts? How do I wait when I am so stressed that one day looks like another day and I can't tell my Tuesdays from my Thursdays? How do I wait when I cannot seem to pay the bills even though I'm working three jobs? How do I wait when I feel like I always have to prove myself and work harder and get to the top? How is it that I wait when the doctor told me that I have cancer? How is it that I wait when I have to go and take medicine for my diabetes? I am surrounded by darkness and I'm trying to figure things out and no matter what friendships or relationships I make, no matter what I do or who I try to impress, it feels like it's never enough. No matter what I collect, no matter what I purchase, no matter who I sleep with, no matter how many kids I have, no matter how many titles I get, no matter where I seem to travel to, no matter what country I visit, no matter how many PhDs I have on my resume, no matter how many corporations I've worked for, it seems like there is something missing and darkness is surrounding me. Tell me, Pastor Roger, how do we wait in this? How do we wait well? By remembering the prophecy. By remembering the prophecy. What, what, what are prophecies? Simply put, they are the word of God. See, how do we wait and not allow ourselves to be overcome? By looking at his word by allowing his word to be light unto our path, by getting, his, uh, getting into his word and letting his word get into you, not so you can master it, but so you could be mastered by it. Psalms 119 says this, that his word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. In other words, what it's saying is that, is that the word of God will be a light unto your feet. In other words, what it's implying is that the only reason you would need light on your feet is so that way you could see the next step that is necessary to take. And what the implication there is, is that the reason you cannot see the path fully ahead of you is because you, as a Christian, God is letting you know that you are walking in darkness, that you are, that you are to be expected to walk through difficulties. But it is his word that will get you through. It's remembering the prophecy. It's, it's being able to say, God... I can trust that you are coming again because I can look back and see that you kept your promise and came the first time. When you feel like you've lost all hope and you feel depleted and drained and you are at your wit's end 
and, and, and yes, you know that God is coming again, that Christ will come again, but waiting has been difficult, demanding. Go to his word. Remember the prophecy. Because church, I cannot wait until the day that verse 10 talks about that those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter with Zion singing. Everlasting joy will crown your head. Gladness and joy will overtake you and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Wow. The promise, the problem, the prophecy. Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that maybe now we can begin to relate to what it must have felt like to be in the day of Isaiah, hearing about a Messiah that is going to come to make all things right, but in the meantime, feeling homeless and hopeless. But Lord, I pray that in the deep darkness of the season that we're going through, that the star of hope will shine bright because of your word today. Heavenly Father, let us hold fast to your word. Help us, God, to have a hunger to read it, have a hunger to digest it, have a hunger to think about it and meditate on it, God, so that way it can be the light to our feet and to our path. Lord God, I thank you, and I am so eager as we get closer and closer to celebrating Christmas and understanding, God, not just the real history of Christmas, but seeing his story, your story, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Merry Christmas, guys. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.